T-minus 10, 9. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J-Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, J-Man. Ah, boy. All right. Take eight. Welcome once again to the Launchpad Podcast. I'm J-Man. And uh, let's start off by saying check out the website at launchpadpodcast.com. Like legit, this is take number eight. So Steve's trying not to laugh and I'm just doing my own thing. And that's where you can subscribe. And I want to give much love to my sponsors, Galant Media, for all your business development needs. He scored me this sweet t-shirt. He also does mugs website and graphic design and IT gorilla for your IT services and solutions. So far, so good. Make sure to like and share this podcast for your chance to win a free Android box and some Launchpad merch. And this gentleman right here is an Ottawa native, handsome man. You give me butterflies. I'm just trying to keep it light <laughs> so I don't blow this shit. <laughs> He is a multiple Maple Blues Award winner, and he's won in multiple categories. He's also won multiple Juno Awards. He is from the band Monkey Junk, right here in the nation's capital. The one, the only, I finally got this shit right, Steve Mariner. How you doing, buddy? You did it, man. I did it. I was waiting to look up at the icon and was going to say, not recording, and I was just going to jump out my fucking window. That's what was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So welcome to the program. Uh, you have a beautiful backdrop right there. Where might you be? I am currently coming at you from North Vancouver, BC. And uh, this is Colin James's personal studio uh, behind me. Um, I play in his band and we're here to do a live stream show from the Commodore Ballroom tomorrow and uh, a recording session on Friday for his next album. So uh, just getting some mountain time and some sunshine and not freezing weather is pretty great. And uh, yeah, he's got a wonderful studio as you can see. So it, uh, he's generously let me broadcast from in here. That's awesome. Now, are you gonna be playing the show in front of fans or zero fans? Zero fans, there's no audience allowed because of the COVID restrictions. Um, so it's the, the Commodore Ballroom's 90th anniversary uh, show and Colin is the artist who sold out the most shows in their history so they've got him performing uh, uh, their 90th anniversary bash there's going to be a show at 3 p.m eastern and 9 p.m eastern and so that's noon and six for us out here All right and um, you can find if you care to tune in it might be done by the time this podcast airs. But <laughs> Who knows? We're just I don't know if they're going by the seat of our pants here. They're going to archive it or not. But uh, right. for any Colin James news, ColinJames.com. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Now, have you played in front of no crowds? Like, I mean, beyond since like the days that maybe you sucked. Like, have you played <laughs> in front of no people uh, during this whole COVID <laughs> thing? Or is this going to be like a brand new experience? No, um, I did. Uh, early on, uh, when I was quarantining at home in Toronto, uh, when everything shut down, we were on tour with Colin in California. And um, so we had to fly home from San Francisco and quarantine for two weeks. And so at home, uh, I did a, you know, a live stream show with my iPhone in my living room before I really understood what was going on. So right. I did that one. And Monkey Junk did one from... Uh, 
the Audio Recording Academy in Ottawa in April. And I did another one from home, I feel like in September. So I've done a few of the, the sort of live stream online shows, but it's weird, but it's not that weird. You just get used to it. Right. Now, so. I'm really curious. Uh, we were talking about this before the podcast started. Things have kind of come 360 in regards for you playing with Colin. Many, yeah. many, many years ago, uh, you were a young stud, <laughs> a little bit ahead of your time, maybe. And it, it was obvious very early on that you were a prodigy, that you had more talent than the average child your age when it came to music, very much like Colin James when he was young. So if you wouldn't mind sharing that story with the podcast listener, it would be greatly appreciated because it's funny. Yeah, well, I believe it was Blues Fest in Ottawa, Ottawa Blues Fest in 1998, and Colin had just put out the Little, ba Little Big Band 2, and they were headlining this particular night. And I've been a big fan of his since I first heard him before that. I think my friend's dad showed me his uh, CDs in like 97, maybe when I was just getting into blues and, and rock and roll and stuff. So I was very excited to be there. And uh, actually Matt saw my drummer in Monkey Junk. His brother, Marty, snuck me backstage somehow. I was 13. And, uh, and I went up to Colin, just walked right up to him. No, you know, no fear i just walked right up to him and said hey man i, I can play harmonica like kim wilson uh, you should get me up on stage and he just kind of he's like uh yeah no but you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe one day kid and he just right. kind of pat me on the back and sent me on my way and uh so i you know that one day was uh 17 years later um in 2005 they were on tour on his hearts on fire tour and they were um I guess Colin was in the middle of making a blues record and he had asked his band if they knew a harmonica player they'd recommend. And Jeff Hicks, the drummer and Jesse O'Brien, the keyboard player both brought up my name. And so Jeff called me up and asked if I'd like to sit in with them at Massey Hall in Toronto. And wow. I said, yeah. I said, uh, yeah. So that, I think that was Monday and the show was Wednesday. So I ripped down to Toronto I was almost late for sound check. My car, my car almost broke down on the on the DVP. I made it from, I made it from Centertown, Ottawa, to the DVP exit in like three hours. Very bad. Very very not safe. But I, <laughs> I made it there very quickly. And then as I got on the DVP, the my car started to overheat. I had to turn it off, actually turn it off and coast, put it in neutral and coast down the DVP. <laughs> anyway. I got to Massey Hall about 10 minutes before sound check and I ran up in there and I was only supposed to play like two songs or three songs. And then at sound check, Colin just kind of kept throwing stuff at me. He's like, you know, this one, you know, this one. And I did because I've been a big fan of his for a long time. And so I played darn near the whole show. And then um, after that, the next day or the day after his management called and asked me to record on his record. And then after the record came out, I was hired to do a bunch of festivals and then I was pretty much just in the band and uh, I went on tour across Canada with him in 2017 and uh, you know, it's been that That's way. Awesome. Yeah. You know, like great. outside uh, of being a singer, I can't think of any worst instrument to play with being out of breath. Like you're, you're panicked, you're anxious and now you got to blow into this harp. Like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. To explain to some people that may not know a harp is a harmonica. He's not blowing into like a big, string instrument no do you know anyone that plays those by the way 
not personally, uh, but one of my favorite bands is a band called the Bar Brothers from Montreal. Yes. They had uh, a girl named Sarah who played the actual concert harp. And I think they have another woman who plays the harp now, but uh, I've never known anyone personally. Who yeah, plays I think there's a Joanna Newsom, I think her name is, and she has a very unique familiar. voice. Yeah. yeah. I like what you, okay, your harp is fascinating. It's, it's amazing the noises, <laughs> the good noises that you can make come out of that thing. <laughs> and I'm equally fascinated with this harp. Like some of that really jams a harp, it's, it's majestic. Like yeah, the sound is. really matches up to what they're doing. I'm yeah, like, it, that's an angel. What was cool with the Bar Brothers is that she amplified that harp through like a guitar amp and put like vibrato and reverb on it. So it had this extra ethereal quality that just, I love it. It sounds awesome. The records are amazing. If you don't yeah. know the Bar Brothers, please check them out. Amazing. Yeah, good. I'm all for shameless plugs. Who are some of your favorite musicians today? Oh, I have so many. But uh, records I've been listening to, um, my friend Samantha Martin uh, from Toronto, she's got a new record out that my other, one of my best buds, Curtis Chaffee, he co-wrote a lot of the record with her and plays guitar in her band. It's called The Reckless One. Great new, like, modern R&B soul, really well produced and sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I've been listening a lot to a songwriter from the States named Brandy Carlisle, who has a, a wicked record out uh, called By The Way I Forgive You. It's like mm-hmm. one of those lots of heartstring songs on there. Just like beautiful, beautifully produced. She's an amazing songwriter. I've been really into that. Um, what have I else have I been listening to? I don't know. I actually have to like look at my phone and see what my like latest. Right. While you're doing that, actually, this was a question I wanted to ask you. You don't yeah. mind me bringing up lady friends and stuff like that and all that <laughs> jazz. You post it all the time. You take lovely photos, by the way. Go look at Steve Mariner's page, and he has just a whole bunch of lovely photos, and creep him. Uh, (laughs) Does the lady friend make it into any songs? Well, number one, let's just preface this with Steve has a new record that's going to be out in the spring, and a lot of it's at home, and I'm assuming that when you're home, you're spending a lot of time with her. Are there any songs that have to do with the lady in there? Yeah. You know, there's one song... uh, we had a uh, we had a small pause last year, and uh, um, we were supposed to go on a trip to Nashville, and um, then that didn't happen. And I was on a train from Ottawa to Toronto, and I was telling a friend, my friend um, was, we were going to the whoop shoot, <laughs> <laughs> settle down, Steve. <laughs> yeah, I know. We were going to the Kentucky Derby for my best friend's bachelor party, and I was going to carry on to Nashville after that and meet up with my partner. And that didn't happen. So he said, so I guess you're not going to Nashville anymore. I said, yeah, no more Nashville. And I was just like, bing, like a little light went on. And I just oh. wrote this song, No More Nashville, right in the uh, in the next little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, the relationship stuff definitely forks its way in. Um I've got a nice, like a really, we actually wrote a song together, actually. There's a song we wrote together that's going to be on my record. So it's neat. I've never written a song with a romantic partner before. So that's, uh, I'm really excited. She's really excited. She's actually a great lyricist. She writes beautiful lyrics and and poems and just prose too. She's a great writer. Um, Right. So it was really neat to, you know, like collaborate with with my partner and, and write a song. And it turned out beautifully. So I'm excited about it. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. I always wonder, because some people come from just different areas. Some people write from a very deep inside place. It's very introspective, and it doesn't have to do with anybody else. And then other artists write about their experiences. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be writing about what it was like to just go through these COVID times. Oh, and yeah. a lot of COVID songs. <laughs> a lot of, it's like, we're never going to forget. I wish nobody would, but I mean, I understand. Right. And that's just where people are coming from and where their inspiration tends sure. to come from. Um, where does most of your inspiration come from? Now I know with monkey junk, obviously there's a lot of collaboration yep. in what you do when you guys, you know, you drop killer hits, you, you have great records. Who would you even say that's most responsible for, the lyrics that come out of these songs or the creative process monkey junk songs yeah um i would the the process with writing songs and monkey junk is so collaborative like uh the three of us just get in a room and maybe tony or i will have a guitar riff or like a progression or some sort of music and then we'll play it we'll show the other part the other guys and um pretty quickly we latch onto it and just and go you know like matt comes up with a drum part that complements the the guitar part or you know we a lot of times what we've done is we leave space in our shows to sort of jam and just like in the middle of a song that's got a structure we'll kind of break and and just make a bunch of stuff up and a lot of times over the years the stuff we've come up with has later become a song you know right. like jam that we did we're like hey we all look at each other like bookmark that in your brain like that's that's going to be a song so then when we get to writing it comes out again so um monkey junk does things a little differently than than maybe some other bands um we often write complete musical arrangements with like solos and chord progressions and everything before we have a lyric and i'll often have sort of a, a melody idea for the vocal like you know i'll hum it or i'll just like sing vocalese like nah, 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 you know like i'll have <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah like that nah, 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 nah. so <laughs> i'll have a, a melodic idea in my head but the lyrics i find are the hardest part for me uh so we've all had contributions to lyrics i write a lot of them because i have to sing them and a lot of times we've uh sorry i shouldn't say a lot of times but in we have five records and on the last three or so we've had some uh collaborations with paul reddick uh one with tom wilson from uh blacking the rodeo kings and lee harvey husband uh i think that might be it i think yeah. paul and tom are the only other real lyric writers we've had other than ourselves are our, our, the guy who um oh matt chaffee actually from uh the split in ottawa he's got some lyrics on a couple of our songs and the guy who engineered and co-produced our records, Ken Friesen, he had some lyrics there too, but. Uh, um, that's how you wanted Juno. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. Like at the studio uh, in Elmont, Ontario, where we recorded the records, uh, Signal Path, that's Ken's place. He had a great kitchen and a table and we'd often just sit around and just work it out. That's where the lyrics got written. That's pretty sick. Um, that is pretty sick. At, and as far as inspiration for the lyrics, sometimes we would have the you know this piece of music and it we would sort of riff on what that piece made us feel like like we have a song called once had wings and it's pretty dark and broody 
And it always, like, I remember when we wrote it, we wrote it in my apartment when I was living on Somerset. And I just said, I don't know, I just, the song feels like death to me. It's like a dying song. <laughs> and so we, said, we, we were kind of hung up on the lyrics, but we had this really beautiful arrangement. We sent it to Paul Reddick and we said, hey, you know, think about dying. And he wrote back the next day this beautiful, like, lyric set of, like, you know, a, the, the, the character looking back on his life and stuff. And it, it's, it's not sad. It's just kind of really beautiful. Anyway. Right. But it can, it can come from anywhere. You know, we've got, uh, you know, a song of ours called Mother's Crying. That's just great a, track. It's a big analogy for it. I wrote it right after the, um, the oil spill happened in, in, in Louisiana a few years back now, like 2011, maybe there was a really awful oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico and really messed up a lot of, uh, you know, business and, and, environment in louisiana and tony had this great arrangement of a robert johnson song that was his arrangement that he used robert johnson lyrics so we took that and i wrote new lyrics for it you know we've got you know party so some songs that are just unabashedly party songs like light it up like that's just like the saturday night get down yeah. we're just gonna play loud yeah yeah just, right you know, monkey junk's always been more of a kind of a good time kind of party band we we like to get people up and dancing and moving that's kind of where we seem to have the most inspiration i guess you right know, like we, we just like to have a great time and, and sing and have fun and play our instruments and just rock out you know now obviously you play with a lot of talented musicians people your caliber beyond right in regards to accolades uh colin james is someone that's been around forever Name a couple of other people that you've really enjoyed playing with that you find take you to the next level as a musician. Uh, I've been playing a lot recently with Jimmy Boskill, who uh, was another, you know, child prodigy and uh, now is a grown man and he's just turned 30 mm -hmm. and he, he plays with the Sheepdogs and Blue Rodeo and he does his own stuff. He's one of the most naturally talented people I've ever met and we really dig a lot of the same music old blues old country and honky tonk uh rock and roll you know so we've been doing a lot of collaborating he's going to be all over my new record um he makes me a better musician because he's he's just so good you just have to be on your on your game you know but i would say the same with matt and tony you know like we've all lifted each other up as uh as musicians and um harry manx my time with harry manx really was instrumental in, in me developing uh not just as a like a, like not just a harmonica player but it certainly did help my harmonica playing because it took me out of like the straight blues box and i had to do kind of different genres and different styles but be playing with harry and sort of just being around him for the couple of years i was touring with him developed me as a as a person and as a performer and commanded me to pay attention like harry is it is aware of every aspect of how he's being presented all the time mm -hmm. and you know he's a master of a presentation he has a, a look that he is cultivated from the second he's, he he always said to me from the second you step on stage everyone's watching you so like be aware of that how are you presenting yourself what are you how do you want people to see you so and in his music he's just his lyrics are amazing and poetic and beautiful and his presentation, he always has a great sound. He's always, he's 
very particular about making sure his guitars and his voice sounds great. All right. And so quality, always quality with him. I'm so glad that you brought that up because as I had discussed with you before we did this podcast that I used to just kind of keep it strictly entrepreneurial, right? And then realizing that, wow, a lot of the musicians that I know at one point or another or still have a lot of entrepreneurial skills because they had to book their own gigs, find out how much they're going to charge, you know, doing their own recording, whatever it might be. And presentation, how you present yourself, your posture is so important. And always realizing that there are people that are watching you, no matter what it is that you do in life, how important it is that that first impression that people get when they see you. And I know that for many years of doing like these battle of the bands, which I fucking hate. Oh my God. I, some of, anyways, I won't go too deep into it, but I'm watching these guys jump on stage and right away I'm thinking, and I I could be wrong, but it's rare. They just look awful. You know, the the way that they, they set up is awful. Everything about their presentation is awful. And I think this would make for a really great segue in regards to maybe there's a parent out there that's watching that has a kid that's in a band that is aspiring to be greater. Maybe they have talent, maybe they don't. Or maybe there's someone that's a little bit more established that's looking to get to that next level. What would you say as someone that has now established themselves in the music industry, one thing that they absolutely should do if they're looking at pursuing a career in music and one thing that they should absolutely not do, which you would even think could potentially stomp out someone's progression. I will try to whittle it down to one thing, but overall I I would say if you're serious about being a performer or musician uh, or songwriter, whatever it is, the single most important thing is to decide what your goal is. Do you want to be a concert musician that plays in theaters? Do you want to be a bar musician that plays in rock and roll bands? Do you want to be a pop star who plays the biggest festivals in the world? All of those things are possible, but when you decide on your goal and your destination, let's say, then you can plot your course and, and be strategic about it. See, that's one thing, because I started so young, I was just so excited about everything all the time. I'm a very excitable guy. I love to play. I'm very social. I like to be out there and meeting people. And, you know, I I love the social aspect of being a musician and performing. Sometimes, though, you can't, it, it behooves you not to be super social. Be, I think being strategic and understanding your goal is very important. And maybe you don't stay and drink all night at the bar that you just played at. Maybe you just go home. You know, maybe you practice a little more before you do that new song that you really can't wait to play. Maybe you just make sure it's it's ready. You know what I mean? So I think what strategy means is being prepared for opportunity, being prepared to be on stage. You know, a lot of people, myself included, we will try new stuff out on stage. Maybe, I mean, yeah, do that, but wait till it's pretty ready. You know what I mean? Don't, don't just say, Oh, I wrote this yesterday. I haven't played it yet. Like, you know what I mean? Be, be strategic about your moves because there's no rush. Right. And that's, I think yeah, that's solid gold. Yeah. That's I think solid gold. Yeah. Well, thanks. are you familiar with a gentleman named Gary V at all? No. Uh, no. Gary V. He's just one of these marketing gurus and personal development. And he talks about, 
the propensity that people have to want to rush. Like, I don't have this yet. I want that, whatever it might be. And he says, how old are you? And in a lot of cases, you know, these guys are 21, 22 years old. And he says, look at that as being a percentage of how much of your life you've lived, right? Now, of course, life expectancy isn't 100%, but that's just how he does it. He's like, you're 21% done. Now, you have a lot more, you have a lot more tarmac there. <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of runway. Uh, so to unpack your statement, have a goal, right? Uh, yeah. Know how to present yourself and then just make good choices. Is it a great idea to sit around and get sloshed and potentially say something stupid and offend people when you're trying to build your business? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both learn from experience. I've done that way too many times. But hey, like there's a time for that. There is a time for that. You know, sure. like recognize when you're wasting your time or when it makes sense to hang out with the marketing director for Warner Music and have some drinks and talk some shit. You know right. what I mean? Maybe don't hang out with the bar staff of the base of the place that you just play. I, I shouldn't say that either. Do what you feel like doing, but make sure you're you're aware of your moves. Just be focused. You right. Know, and make focus. Focus. You know? If, and, if you want it bad enough, then you will stay focused. Right. And, and knowing your worth. Now, we have tried to tackle this conversation a couple of times, and we're going to nail it this time. We're absolutely right. going to nail it because I'm going to be very specific about the type of person that we're talking about. And I think right. it's just important for people to hear it from an industry pro and someone that's been there uh, and can speak on it from experience. Is when someone is starting out in music, and starting out can be an incredibly long process not just one year or two years. It takes a lot of times for a lot of time uh, on occasion for people to achieve whatever it is that their goal might be. The importance of supporting your friends when they're putting on shows. And support doesn't necessarily mean just going to the show. Support also means paying for the ticket for that show and why that is so important Maybe you can speak on that. The music ecosystem, especially at the local level, depends on people supporting it. And I feel like if you're going to be a part of a scene, like I moved from Ottawa to Toronto five, almost five years ago to be part of a bigger scene. There's a lot more venues. Unfortunately, a bunch have closed during the pandemic. Sure. But there will be other ones, but... So part of that is going and contributing to that scene. If you want it to thrive and you want it to live, then I feel it's important to support it. That means, you know, if, if it's 10 bucks to go to the Dakota and hear your buddy's band, don't be like, oh, yeah, I'm on the guest list. Like, pay the 10 bucks. You know right. what I mean? That said, if someone asks me, like a, a friend of mine says, hey, like, I'm a little short. Can you guest list me? I will, you know, right. of course. I would rather someone be there and be a part of the music than not because they can't afford to get in. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, I'm fortunate to be in a position that I'm able to pay the cover charge to see most things that I want to see. And I feel it's important to do so because I know from being on the other side of it, that money that, you know, five people paying 20 bucks, that hundred bucks is going to mean that you made it or, or didn't, you know, like when, mm. I mean, when I do a show, even if it's in a bar and I hire other musicians, I'm going to 
pay them regardless of what comes in. You know what I mean? But I'm hoping that I'll be able to cover it with what comes in the door. When you're playing bars, that's kind of how it is. You know, fortunately in Toronto, it's a really good scene. People want to play, you know? So like, you know, there's some really amazing musicians who are, are happy to play and, and be reasonable. And, and, you know, if there's no money coming in, they're like, you know, that's cool. Like they, people yeah. understand. Those. But, but I think that's great the way that you're explaining it. And I'll just unpack that because I don't want you to feel like you're getting dragged under the bus here because it's, it's, it's much more difficult for someone that's in the industry to have this conversation than someone who's no longer uh, in that industry. But it's a collective. It's like, it's yeah. a group of people. Like you said, it's a scene, it's a family. And yeah. you just kind of want everyone to do what they can. It's like the village that takes care of everybody. Absolutely. Right. And like, so by going out there and supporting the music, by paying that cover charge, you're allowing that music scene to thrive and not doing so on a regular basis. Anyways, no one's looking for a handout. You're really not part of that. You want to be in the scene, but you're not kind of paying your dues to be there. Or is that too harsh? That's how I'm going to say it anyways. And this comes from like a religious, like put me on the guest list guy. That's me. <laughs> and, and I learned a lot when you told me that. But what I, it's different for you because you've always been in broadcasting. You've been, you've been playing our music and stuff. So, right. and oftentimes you've emceed our shows. So like, we're going to, you know, you can come in, sure. you know, but the other thing too is like, it's kind of, it's uh, having a ticket price on your show is a bit of a, like a filter. Like if you don't want to pay it and you don't want to be here, I don't want you to be here. And right. I'm not mad at you for it. Right. If you don't want to come and pay the 10, 20, whatever it is to get in, don't. And that's fine because there are people, hopefully, who do <laughs> yeah. and will pay. And that's cool. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't, you know, we talked before about a story where I've seen people scoff at the cover charge at the door, like at the rainbow or Irene's or whatever, you can like straight see the, the door and you see people like, Oh my God, $20. Jeez. And yeah. it's like, while you're playing a song, then if, if <laughs> yeah. And you know what, if it's not worth it to you to pay that money to come in, I'm fine with it. I don't want you here. If mm -hmm. you, if you don't feel like it's a mutually beneficial situation, like you're getting value from your money and you're happy that the money is going to me to provide that service for you, it doesn't work. If you're just yeah. there, have some drinks and talk with your buddy, there's other places for that. And, the, and a music venue probably isn't one of them. Right, 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 right. There's a value that you have for your tickets, and you know that that value holds up because a lot of people pay. And if someone doesn't want to pay that money, you're okay with it. You'd rather them just hold on to their money and do something else. Sure. It's even right? happened like, I, I remember shows with, with Harry being on tour in like intimate venues. There's a venue in, um, in BC, uh, in Penticton called the dream cafe. And it seats like a hundred people or, or maybe even like 90. And, but the ticket is pretty heavy to make, to make the economics of it work, you know, for everybody. And, you know, I remember being there with him years ago, like 15 years ago and someone's talking up a storm and, you know, he kind of said to, to the point where he had to over the mic be like, Hey, you know, excuse me, you know, we're, we're playing a show here. And the person's like, yeah, well, I paid the ticket. And then he just like, yeah, well, give them their money back. You can, thanks. See you later. And he like, they gave them their money back and kicked them out. Wow. Like, well, that's the thing people, that's the other side of it is sometimes certain people feel like they've bought their way in to do whatever they want to do. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's not really how it works either. Yeah. The entitlement. 
there's a certain amount of, I mean, you know, if you're playing a bar and it's a loud rock and roll band, whatever, you know what I mean? But if you're going to see a concert act in an intimate venue where that silence from the audience is kind of required to make the show happen and you're mm. disrupting that, like. Right. I can only imagine like I'm doing some spoken word thing and there's some guy making fart jokes yeah. <laughs> loud at the bar. I can't do what I want to do. Right. It's, to put on a good show, it's not just about the musicians. It's really at that point, it becomes kind of, you're like, you're in it with the audience. You're a team. There's a, there's an exchange and you, you depend on each other to make it a successful event. You right. know? And if people are not willing to engage in the right way and be respectful, then it's like, what are you even doing? You know? Right now, are you at liberty to say, and you don't have to be incredibly specific about where this was, but like the worst show ever. Can you remember like that worst show? Like you got there, you already maybe had a, a little bit of a bad feeling. And then, you know, you strum that first note or you're saying that first chord and you're like, we sh should not have come here. Or just, it was an awful experience. Um, like someone gets a beer bottle over the head. Someone gets shanked at a monkey junk show. Anything like that or playing with anybody uh, else? Okay, there's a... <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. There's, there's at least there's one. A couple. All right, there's a couple. One, I remember we went all the way to Belgium for this showcase where it was the kind of thing where you show up and all the arts presenters from like theaters and festivals around Europe have like gotten together and they check you out. You play, you play like a 20 or 30 minute set and they just check you out to see if they want to book you for their season. And they got our festival rider, like the, the, the equipment that we require for playing a festival is much different than the equipment we, we require to play a theater because like outdoors you can crank it up you know so we show up we you know flown from ottawa to brussels and we show up we're pretty tired and we have like a show at like 10 in the morning or something like that it was early we were jet lagged they have these giant amplifiers for us and the, the space it's like a, a small tiny theater that seats like 100 people and we have like twin reverbs and there was an organ with two Leslie's and like just a giant bass amp. Like we had this huge equipment and like, uh, like it, we, there was not, I don't know. It didn't go very well. And we got, we went all the way there. We got zero bookings. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> and we, we ended up just going out and having like mool frites and beer and calling it a night. You know, it was, it was, we went all the way there for like three days or two days even. It was crazy. Wow. That yeah. one last year, um, or no, sorry, two years ago, maybe 2018, we did a, a little tour. We worked with a new agency and went to the States on this like two or three week run. And we, <laughs> we get to Cincinnati, we get to Cincinnati, Ohio, and the gig is in a church basement that is now like a hipster brewery that, but it still looks like a church basement. You know what I mean? And there's three bands on the bill. And when we show up, the first band's dad was setting up the drums. And, oh, it was just like. No, you got to go deeper. What is it? You're holding back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was just like, okay. what are we doing here, man? Right. Like, and we looked, Tony and I looked at Matt and we're like, nah, let's get out of here. Like, let's just not do the gig. Like, what's right. the gig? Worth, it was, we weren't being paid very much at all. You know, we were just like, do we want to subject ourselves to this? Like, what are we doing? Like, mm -hmm. we're playing with two, like, teen bands or like, you know what I mean? 
Wow. Yeah. So you're just misinformed. How do you even get that booking? Who is this guy? That's what I mean. Like, how did we arrive at this point? We're like, what's going on here? You know, like there's, there's been some mistake. Right. Cause your trajectory is going this way. And that's like, (laughs) well, it was just like, we hadn't done a lot of touring. We played festivals in the States, but not a lot of like road touring, like venue to venue, you know? And I remember just like, having this sinking feeling and we're like well we're here and we only have to play for like an hour because we're the second of three bands <laughs> you're not even closing yeah <laughs> yeah and so matt matt convinced us he's like come on guys let's do it we should do it it says we're supposed to play let's just do it and we did and the kids like i mean the audience were like 18 to 20 year olds like some of them couldn't even drink you know what i mean and yeah which is cool and everything is we normally we play for people like my dad's age, you know, but and these kids like rocked out super hard dust. Like we played all our heavier stuff. We played like light it up and you know, all the tiger in your tank, tiger tank, live another day. All, like yeah. our really heavier rock and roll stuff. And these kids freaked out. And then at, when we were done our set, the other two bands were like, what are you guys doing here? We're like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, awesome. And we packed up in like 10 minutes, like struck the stage, packed the band, gone, gone, like out. Wow. So that was one of the weirder ones that I can remember. The band morale was pretty low after that. I can imagine. And on the same tour, I think we played a a pizza joint in Knoxville, Tennessee, where it was just like. Getting worse. Getting worse. A pizza joint. That was a grim tour. (laughs) That's all part of the same tour. That's horrendous. I know. I felt like we should like. I felt like Anvil from their like European tour. You know? <laughs> it was just like, ah. Uh, anyway, I mean, right. thank, thankfully, those kinds of memories are few. We've had right. really amazing tours and really amazing, you know, experiences with our band all over the place. You know. So let's get big time Canadiana, and right. I want to go to the Junos and the Juno Cup. Yeah. Now, not a lot of people maybe know about the Juno Cup. I know about the Juno Cup. And that's where all the Juno nominees and stuff like that. Well, there's an opportunity for them to play a big hockey game. Number one, I've always been curious and heard asked this question. How long is the game? Because there's a lot of older people there too. And I wonder like, do they tailor that for age? Or is it two, three, 20 minute like, periods? No, I think there's two halves. They have like the lesser experienced musicians who are, you know, there for fun and for the cause. Right. They, they play in the first half and then the more, more, you know, the better ones play in the second half, you know, more talented ones. Well, there's, I mean, there's some really talented hockey players like Sam Roberts is like, he played junior a, like he's a wicked hockey player. Right. That's what I'm going to ask. Who are some of the better hockey players that maybe we don't know of that are musicians? Sam Roberts is killer. Uh, Devin Cuddy, Jim's son. It's great. Right. It's Jim's uh, birthday today. Apparently. Yeah. So happy birthday, even though it's going to be a little bit late. Happy birthday, captain Jim. He's a, he's the captain Jim and uh, Jim makes the, pretty much the the roster he selects the players okay so jim's a great player himself right you know and Um, and do you want to take a shot at somebody who really sucks that maybe gives you a hard time on the ice no (laughs) such a wuss nah oh i mean friendly steve devin cuddy is a very very competitive hockey player like i play with them well i used to before we couldn't play anymore but uh they have a monday game in toronto that i try and make it out to and it's a lot of fun and uh but yeah, they they like to they like to talk. They they like to chirp. 
So, oh, okay. So the Cuddies, they're the good shit talkers? Oh, yeah, totally. And that's one time, the first Juno Cup, Devin fed me a pass and I had a wide open net and threw it over, threw it over like I missed the net. Like I was wide open. He fed me a beauty pass and I threw it over the crossbar. And it's just like, I, I still don't, I still don't live that down. He like, lets you know every time you step on the every, ice. Every time. Do you have a, do you have a nickname at all? Like it, within music? Music or sports, either or. Mm, a lot of people just call me by my last name. Just call me Mariner. Mariner. Or, yeah. Uh, um, my very closest friends that I like, I grew, grew up with and went to school with. They call me Marn because, uh, uh, so Mariner, right. Grand Marnier, Marnier, Marn. Oh, that's the breakdown right there. I like that. It's classic. And from back in the day when I was known as Southside Steve in my, right. uh, my blues teen years, uh, there are a few people who just call me South still. Like right. uh, Tony South. D sometimes calls me South. J.W. Jones sometimes calls me South because uh, that was like when we all kind of met back then. Right. Um, these days, people just call me Mariner. What's up, Mariner? Well, Mariner, yeah. you're, you're a hand talker, and I've seen a lot of tattoos on those arms. And those aren't tattoos that were on your body, not some of them at least, uh, when I knew you or when I saw you last, I should say. It's been a few years now. Breaks my heart, brother. Breaks my heart. Much love. Much love. Uh, right there. Tell me more about these tattoos, the significance of these tattoos. Well, these birds I got uh, actually in Ottawa from Rick Levitsky, great tattoo artist. He gave me these birds. And, yeah, what shop? Go ahead, drop uh, it. He's moved around, and I'm not sure where he's working right now. So Okay, but, we'll uh, find out. Yeah, check out his Instagram page. Um, okay. Rick Levitsky. Uh, he did... These birds at the same time, the blue one uh, is for my nephew, the red one's for my niece. Um, the This diamond tattoo uh, I got in Toronto from a guy named Paul Walk. He actually, Paul's done this one, this one, this one, and this one. This one I got in Vancouver. It says mom and dad on it, you know. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this TCB was on the, the tail of Elvis Presley's uh, private plane. Yeah, which take, you're a huge fan of. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. I can't go figure. This one just take care of business. It's just a reminder to go get it. You know. And, are you uh, Are you going to show us the tramp stamp? Oh, I don't have. I managed to avoid <laughs> that trend. But this is the first one that I got here. I got that in Edmonton in 2007. Yeah. Uh, it says as I am. It's um, you know, hard on my sleeve. Just trying reminder to be honest with myself and with other people and. Uh, yeah, they each have a little little message or something that I carry with me. That's badass. I like that. You're a good guy. I mean that. You're, <laughs> you're, you're a genuine I cat. I don't know what anyone says. I think you're great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a Ron Burgundy moment there. You're great. Uh, but you are. I, I, I really appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate your transparency. And you've always been a, a real honest guy with me. And even back in the Dog FM days, any time that we had a chat, I think the reason we've always had a good back and forth is because, you know, you're, you're not filtered and in, in being not filtered, sometimes that's a real dangerous thing. <laughs> I, I know. I, the thing about it is, I don't, I mean, I don't know. I, I've always been a pretty open person. I like to talk a lot, obviously. Um, 
but it's like, you know, I, I, it's, it's easier to exist without having to remember what you've told who, and, you know, and I, it, it's just too much. I just, I don't mm. have time. For it. You got just, some, you got some good ethics on you there, boy. Well, you know, I've got great family that I'm very fortunate to have a, a really great big brother and my folks, uh, we're all very close, my, uh, my family. So, and, um, and I've got a great lady, you know, like right. Jackie, my partner is, uh, really a good voice. Of just reason. painting that shit on, eh? <laughs> you're, you're like i'm making sure coming out of this i'm getting some goodies uh, <laughs> so now I, this is a perfect way to segue i believe into business because you're strong ethically you're a good guy you're honest you're going to tell it straight and i think man that's so important when it comes to music because there's so many people that i think are in music today that shouldn't be one great example of that would be like america's got talent or whatever those shows are where there's someone there thinking that they're good and they're just not and for shame, not on the person that's performing, but for anyone that told that person that they should be out there performing. It, it disgusts me. I'm like, who is this person's social circle? It should be broken apart. They should never talk again. And well, you know. you're, you're moving into a new business venture where, you know what, you'll have some input, right? Yeah. In regards to this new company that you just founded, you made the announcement just yesterday Please tell people a little bit more about what it is that you're doing, what your business is all about, and why it's here. It's called Mariner Custom Sounds. Um, it's basically remote song production. Um, you know, this year everyone's keeping their distance from each other, and uh, I just thought there's got to be a way for people to continue to create, and I would love to help people make their song ideas come to life and and i love producing other artists it's something i've done for a while and i really really enjoy that process i love collaborating musically with people with like-minded people um and even not like-minded people you always learn something collaborating every time uh with someone so what i've tried to what i'm trying to do here is to get people to send me their songs and and we'll bring them to life you know um so why why am I here? Well, it's also because I'm not touring nearly as much. I've still managed to play a bit here and there, but it's not, you know, like like normal times. So I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands, I think, for the next year or so. Uh, so I would really love to get more into producing other people. Um, right. Let me just add and, on to this for you. Yeah. Because you're, you're a humble guy. Uh, Steve, not only is he accomplished and have all the accolades that you could possibly achieve when it comes to Canadian music. He, he's also someone that has the talent to where he plays five different instruments, which just goes to show you like, you know, harmonica, guitar, like that's not the same. People always say there's some instruments that are the same and whatnot. And it's easy to transition five. That's just not the case. So <laughs> he really knows what he's talking about in regards to what music should sound like, how it's composed, all those types of things. So I, I wanted to make sure to throw that in there. So when someone's thinking about, like, is this someone that I can trust with my music? Is this the person that's going to be able to put it together and make it sound the way that I want to? Well, I can't think of many people right now that are as talented as Steve that can even take the time and, and have the skill and the knowledge to make that happen. And if you wouldn't mind just touching on how this all came to be in regards to your collaboration with Reddick. Well, okay. So... Let me just say first about sure. about about the whole 
you know, Mariner custom sounds production thing. Yeah. It's obviously a money-making venture cause I need to try and be creative and keep income flowing, but I'm not in, I'm not interested in taking someone's money and then creating them something that they don't want. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not, I'm interested in helping people who want to put out good music. I'm helping, I'm interested in helping make that happen. Right. That said, I'm, I, I also don't want to create music that I don't like, and I'm not gonna, you know, and if, if someone comes to me and I feel as though I have nothing to offer as, as far as insight or ability to, to help them realize their vision, then it, it's not a good fit. And I would never do that just to earn a buck. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's all about the music, man. Like, you know, it really right. is. It's like, I want, I just want to create good music and, and I feel like I have the skill set and time to make that happen now. And um, hopefully, hopefully people want to work with me because that will right. help them. Now uh, my collaborations with Paul Reddick go back a long time. I've been a fan of his for a long time and we've been friends for almost 20 years now. So um, during this pandemic, uh, I early on, I started really diving headfirst into uh, audio engineering and, and mixing, you know, really getting hands-on with the production that I had only ever sort of directed before. Now, mm-hmm. And now I'm deep into it, like making all the moves myself. So I remembered that last fall I was on tour with Paul Reddick in Italy. And so was Tony D. Tony and I were playing guitar for Paul. And uh, we recorded one of the shows we did uh, and it like properly multi-tracked the whole show. And I wondered, Hey, you know, maybe this is a good, you know, practicum for me to like really see if I can bring this to life and make it sound like something that people want to hear. So I I asked our, the, the agent and bass player who books the shows for Paul's name is Gab Della Piani. I asked him to send me the files, the stems, and he sent it all over and it's about, you know, like an hour and a half worth of music. And I think there's like 14 or 15 songs. And we whittled it down to 10 that were the best ones, the, like the strongest performances. Or 11, I think, sorry. And um, it took me pretty much all of April. But I I spent the whole time just doing little bits, like figuring things out, watching tutorials and, you know, like understanding how my gear works and at the end of it uh it's a it's a live record that paul put out in i think july or august called uh live in italia alive in italia and uh, i'm really happy with how it sounds and i've got great feedback from people about about you know one guy who's known paul for 30 years said uh he has never heard paul captured so accurately like the you know wow the essence of of Paul Reddick it's difficult live recordings are really difficult it's really difficult to sort of capture the lightning in a bottle you know what I mean it's like and especially a a performer like Paul who's really really needs to be experienced live his studio records are fantastic but Mm. his vibe in a live setting is I'm doing this I'm doing his moves right yeah 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 (laughs) after having I've been playing guitar for him more or less for five years or so and so after witnessing a lot of live situations with him, I, I feel like I was in a good position to present it to the listener the way I think it should sound. And I, 
it seems the, the, the feedback on the record has been fantastic. So I'm really happy about that. It was kind of my first outing as a mix engineer. Right. And, uh, my next will be my own record. So that's badass. And, and yeah. Paul is a highly accomplished artist in his own right. So people know if you're not familiar uh, with Paul Reddick and you know, he's incredibly eccentric and I can only imagine trying to capture those nuances and, and bring them to a record. So the fact that there's people that have known this gentleman intimately for, you know, 30 years that can say, man, like bang on job, spot on. Uh, that really is a testament to your, your skill set and, and your ability to understand and, and theorize the music and make it come to life. I just like making stuff sound good. And if I can. I'm Mine was so much more poetic. Why'd you just poop <laughs> on all that? That was just, I completely lost myself in thought and I just, I got into it. But yeah, you're just, you're out there just doing what you do, having fun. Yeah, man, pretty much. You know, it's just, I just want to make good sounding stuff. That's my whole drive. And that's what you do. Steve, thanks for being on the show, buddy. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. I really appreciate it. So once again, Juno Award winner, Steve Mariner uh, from Monkey Junk. Uh, playing with Colin James right now. I'm going to make sure to put the link below. Hopefully it's archived. Maybe people are able to catch it live regardless. Uh, want to give a big shout out to my sponsors. Once again, to Galant Media for your business development needs and IT Gorilla for your IT services and solutions. Not too late to share the podcast. Win yourself a free Android box or free merch from Galant Media Launchpad merch. You can check out the website Anytime for all episodes about to head into season four soon Ooh, at the launchpadpodcast.com. J-Man saying, as always, you take care, be well, and love simply because you can. Thanks, Steve. Thank you.